the Day of Atonement is seen as an awesome day, a very serious day in which devout Jews fast for 24 hours from food and water to demonstrate their repentance for the transgressions of the previous year. It is an annual feast providing the opportunity to express one's repentance for his sins committed since the last day of atonement and to ask for grace to walk more graciously or righteously in the new year that was launched on the Feast of Trumpets. For the Jewish people then, this is a day each year when God covers their sins. And he covers their sin in his mercy and grants them a brand new start. Now remember, it was God's idea to do this. It was God's idea that this day should be acknowledged and observed by all the children of Israel, as we see in Leviticus. Be careful to celebrate the Day of Atonement on the 10th day of that same month, nine days after the Festival of Trumpets. You must observe it as an official day for Holy Assembly, a day to deny yourselves and present special gifts to the Lord. Do not work during that entire day because it is the Day of Atonement. When offerings of purifications are made for you, making you right with the Lord your God. And who do not deny themselves that day will be cut off from God's people. And I will destroy anyone among you who does any work on that day. You must now do any work, you must not do any work at all. This is a permanent law for you, and it must be observed from generation to generation wherever you live. This will be a Sabbath day of complete rest for you, and on that day you must deny yourselves. This day of rest will begin at sundown on the ninth day of the month and extend until sundown on the tenth day. So the requirements for properly observing the day are strict, and as born-again believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, you and I could be wondering, does this feast have anything to say to me under the covenant, the new covenant that you and I live under? And that answer is a resounding, yes, it does. And we'll get more into that in a moment. But first, let's answer some basic questions so you and I can understand where we are in this feast season, these, these three feasts and what's going on here. The first question that we need to answer is what is atonement? What is atonement? What does it mean? The word atonement in Hebrew means a covering. Under the old covenant, which you and I do not live under, under the old covenant, atonement meant that God covered the sins for which the people repented of. However, he did not remove them. Atonement in the Torah was limited to just one year. It kept God's judgment at a distance, but it did not remove the need for judgment. It simply postponed it. Also on this day, the high priest carried out his most solemn responsibility. The Bible instructed the high priest to select two goats, if you remember this, and then cast lots to determine 
each one's fate by way of the lots. God would determine which goat would be consecrated to him and which would become the scapegoat that would be sent into the desert to die. The commandment required that the two goats be identical in appearance, size, value. In other words, they look like twins. The same on the outside, but their destinies would be completely different. So the message of the twin goats is that while their appearance may fool men, there's no fooling God. There are, we could put it this way, mankind, uh, there are some who look one way that are committed to God. Somebody else looks just like them, but their heart is not committed to God. But God knows and understands and sees all of that. Now, no one can claim innocence, but as the New Testament declares in Romans 3:23, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. And then if God alone that knows the heart of each person, Samuel talks about it. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I've rejected him. You remember this is uh, uh, where this was in regards to Saul. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. So the Day of Atonement, church, is all about the condition of our hearts. This festival actually takes us back to Genesis 3, when sin entered the world. Adam and Eve, if you remember, disobeyed God and were taken out of the Garden of Eden. God then, as you remember, positioned an angel with a flaming sword at the entrance to the garden to guard the tree of life. So there, as, as they put the, the angel with the flaming sword, you know, at the entrance to the garden, to keep man from going back into that garden so that they would not eat of the tree of life, so that they would not forever beyond what God could do for them, eat of that tree of life and could never be changed, could never be really in a place uh, that God could work in their lives. Now, even there you see beyond anything you and I can imagine, you see the grace of God, the mercy of God. It wasn't that God was trying to keep something beautiful from them. He was trying to make it so that they once again could return to the to beauty of their home. God is so gracious and so wonderful to us. And in that garden, man's sin began. On the Day of Atonement then, through the ministry of the high priest, sin is forgiven. In the garden, man departed from God, and on the Day of Atonement, the high priest turns back to God. Adam literally walked out of the garden, and on the Day of Atonement, the high priest walks into the Holy of Holies, making provision for man to live another year in the grace and mercies of God. So we could say it this way. 
Adam started out sinless and ends up guilty. On the Day of Atonement, the high priest starts out guilty and ends up blameless. You notice I did not say sinless. I said blameless. On the Day of Atonement, it was the day of covering. And the skin that covered man came from the first sacrifice ever made, and God did it. But in the Father's all-encompassing wisdom and knowledge, there was more to come. Thank God. For though the Day of Atonement takes us back to the garden, it's also prophetic. It looks ahead to something, and it is a fulfillment of that which was to come. Hebrews 9. So Christ has now become the high priest over all the good things that have come. He has entered that greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven, which was not made by human hands and is not part of this created world. With his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, he entered the most holy place once for all time and secured our redemption forever. Thank you, Jesus. Under the old system, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of the heifer could cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial impurity. Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciences from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. Glory to God. Now, as we begin to look at that, you have got to grab hold of what Jesus has done for you. I mean, you, you just got to hold on to it. The high priest from the tribe of Levi had to offer a sacrifice, as you know, in the Old Covenant, had to offer a sacrifice for his own sins before he could offer sacrifice for the sins of the nation. For he himself was a sinner. But our high priest was not from the tribal line of Levi. Jesus was born into the tribe of Judah. And no one from the tribe of Judah ever served as a priest, only the lion of the tribe of Judah. Amen. He is a totally, his is a totally different priesthood. Now, Jesus' priesthood is amazing. The psalmist expressed it this way in Psalm 110. The Lord has taken an oath and will not break his vow. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Now, we're going to see some things that are very interesting as we go uh, along here. The law of Moses stipulates that only the male descendants of Aaron could be commissioned to serve as Jewish priests before the God of Israel and the Jewish nation. And every Levitical priest was only a priest and could not be a king. But Melchizedek was unique, for in him the two offices of priest and king operated together. 
pointing prophetically to Jesus. In other words, Melchizedek was what we would call a pre-incarnate representation of Jesus to Abraham as he met Abraham. And you remember, tithes were given, and you remember all that took place there. So as the sinless high priest, Jesus literally fulfilled what every high priest had done only symbolically. He needed no goat, for he himself was the scapegoat. Jesus literally bore our sins, our griefs, and our transgressions. You see, church, atonement was the best thing that the old covenant could offer. It's a covering. But on Calvary, when Jesus gave his life blood for you and for me and all who would receive him, he gave us more than atonement. The priest was the intercessor between God and his people, acting as their representative before God. The king was the example of the ideal covenant-keeping Israelite. That's why, and you can't miss this part now, that's why Jesus is both priest and king. He didn't just cover our sins as the Levitical high priest did. He removed our sins for he was priest and king. A priest cannot cancel sin. Our, a priest cannot declare a person acquitted, but a king can. Amen. Oh, I hope you're getting it. Yeah. Atonement was the covering up of sin. Redemption that you and I live under, redemption is the removal of sin with the result that there's no longer any need for any kind of judgment. Did you hear that? Yes. Now, under the covering, there's still judgment coming. But you and I, praise God, we live under redemption. Our sins have been totally, completely removed, nailed to the cross, and they are as far away from us as the east is from the west. They do not exist as far as our high priest is concerned. They are not there. There's no such thing as a sin that's attached to you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Is that, are y'all awake? You and I do not have to fear judgment. Thank you, Lord. You're asking for forgiveness, my friend. It's beyond the power of a forgiving God. And you asking, Henry, the power of repentance is, they're not, I don't even have words to say. You know, just repent. Turn from it. Start another way and let God help you go that way. Because sometimes we don't even have the power to go that way. We need God to just say, come on, I got you, I got you, I got you. But you have to let him got you. You got to let him get you. 
you got to give yourself to him. You have to release you to him so that he can do what he wants to do. Glory to God. There's not a person this morning, if you were willing to say, Lord God, you know my life, you know what I've done, please forgive me. Not a person in here that God would turn away or turn down that request. That means not a person within the sound of my voice who does such a thing as just humble yourself and say, God, I was wrong. Please forgive me. There's not a person that will not walk out head up high, brand spanking you, never to be held accountable for it. Oh, thank you, Jesus. I'm, I'm a happy camper with Jesus. I'm telling you, I mean, you can sit there and just stare off in the space or roll your eyes or do whatever you want to do. Honey, I could shout. I know what it's like to walk under the burden of guilt and shame, and I know what it is to be free. And I praise him. I praise him. A covering cannot do that for me. But removal of it can. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Mm, mm, mm.